0: The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we look at Brazil. We're just a few months after President Dilma Rousseff's re-election. The government's in trouble, facing a floundering economy, mass street protests, and a major corruption scandal. Joining me in the studio to discuss the situation is Jonathan Wheatley, the FT's former bureau chief in Brazil, and on the line from São Paulo, our correspondent there, Samantha Pearson. Jonathan, first. Things have come to a head pretty quickly in this second term for Dilma. What's gone wrong and why so quickly?
1: They
2: have very quickly. Her popularity has just fallen off a cliff. She was riding high up until the election and now she's the most unpopular president since Fernando Collor was impeached 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. What's gone wrong is an accumulation of things with extremely bad timing. We've had the explosion of this big corruption scandal at Petrobras And that came really to a head just after the election. And it was through the election campaign, which in Brazil can last for at least six months, if not the best part of a year, people are thinking about almost nothing else. The economy was unravelling. And then when the election was over and people looked about themselves, they suddenly realised not only was inflation going up, not only was growth really slowing, those kind of things Brazilians will put up with, but worst of all, unemployment was starting to rise, and that's the trade-off that doesn't work out. Brazilians will put up with some economic woes so as long as they keep their own jobs. That all started to go wrong at the same time as this scandal exploded. So you've got this boiling over of discontent with the government, very sharply focused on the scandal, but now people really feeling the pinch of what's been a good 15 years of economic mismanagement.
0: And Samantha, this has now boiled over into big street demonstrations in the past few days. Uh, You're in Sao Paulo, the largest city, which I think also had the largest demonstrations. Just give us a sense of what the political atmosphere is like and whether this is likely to continue.
1: Well, yes, there were mass street protests across Brazil, really, on Sunday. Um, There's still some dispute over the numbers, but I think it's safe to say there are about a million people demonstrating across the country, um, which would then make them, I think, the biggest protest for at least two decades. The mood here in Sao Paulo was actually pretty festive. There were a lot of families demonstrating the elderly, children out as well, people drinking beer on the streets, setting up barbecues. It actually reminded me a lot of the atmosphere around the World Cup. But the important message is don't let this fool you. This is just the Brazilian way of doing protests. It's quite a non-confrontational culture here. So I think deep down people are very angry about the Petrobras scandal and, as Jonathan says, about a whole host of other problems in Brazil, including inflation and poor public services.
0: You mentioned poor public services. I'm just intrigued to ask you, I've read alarming stories about water shortages in the city you live in, in Sao Paulo.
1: Exactly. Well, at least it has been raining pretty heavily for the past month or so, so the situation is not as dire as it was. But yeah, we suffered the worst drought in at least 80 years, which has hit the southeast of the country. And the main reservoir here in Sao Paulo, called Cantarela, was at 6% capacity at one point. Um, it's now about 15% So as I say, the situation is not as bad as it was, but it's still a crisis. We're in the wet season at the moment. So the question is really what happens when we get into the dry season, which normally starts in Brazil around April.
0: So was there literally not water in the taps or?
1: Well, rationing, covert rationing actually started way back last year. But the problem is because of the elections, the government did not want to publicly admit that. So people were finding that they just turned on the taps and there was actually no water then the local water board would explain there were technical problems, etc. But now there's actually been more widespread water rationing um, across the city.
0: Jonathan, to get back to the bigger picture, I mean, you mentioned the Petrobras scandal. Just give us a sort of thumbnail sketch of what that's all about.
2: That is something that probably goes back a very long time, but has been particularly serious during this government and the previous government by the same party, the Workers' Party, the P.T., Really, corruption is a very, very widespread thing in Brazil. The PT is always, when it was founded not that long ago, it, it got itself a reputation for being very clean. And it has been one of the most sort of ethically principled parties in Brazil. But it seems to have decided around about 10 or 15 years ago that corruption was OK if it was for the right motive. And people at the top of the PT didn't enrich themselves personally, but they did use corruption as a means of raising campaign financing and, and party funding. And there have been many, many cases of this, and Petrobras has come out as the biggest one by far, where directors who were political appointments inside the company were reaching agreement on the very, very big contracts that a company like Petrobras does for building rigs, for building refineries, of all kinds of you know huge construction and engineering contracts, uh, taking, uh, it's reported, 3% off the top of the contract and sharing it out among the parties in the coalition, but principally to the PT.
0: And Samantha, that comes, as you say, against a background of a very weak economy. I mean, given the economy has not been doing so well for quite a while, I mean, it does slightly pose the question of why President Rousseff managed to get re-elected, only to then face this explosion of discontent.
1: I think it's important to point out that the country is really divided in terms of voters. So... Her core support is really in the poor northern states of Brazil, so a place like Sao Paulo, where we saw the major protests. These are people who probably didn't actually vote for Dilma in the recent elections. It's also important to point out that Dilma hasn't actually been linked so far to the corruption scandal. There's been no evidence yet to say that she was involved. However, she was chair of Petrobras' board from 2003 to 2010, which is when most of the, the alleged graft took place. So I think people are finding it hard to believe that she didn't know about what happened, and that's why people are so angry, especially here in Sao Paulo, where there's already a lot of opposition towards her government.
0: And she's also done a bit of a sort of economic about turn, hasn't she, by appointing a uh, fairly uh, conservative finance minister, Joachim Levy. How is he going about trying to revive the economy, and is he getting anywhere?
1: <laughs> well, exactly. After years of overspending, Dilma basically did a U turn after she was elected in October. As you say, she hired Joachim Levy, who was a market friendly former banker as her finance minister, and the two of them basically have launched a series of benefit cuts and tax increases as part of a wide austerity drive to really get the economy back on track and safeguard the country's prized investment-grade credit rating. The problem, however, is that with the Petrobras scandal and Dilma's low popularity, it's very difficult to actually get these measures approved in Congress. This month, for example, we saw that Senate President Renan Calieres of the PMDB party, which is her main coalition partner, he rejected a presidential decree to raise payroll taxes. Apparently, this was, well, it seemed to be an act of retaliation for not clearing his name from the corruption probe. He's been one of the politicians named by investigators. So really, it's hard to get Congress to accept these measures. It's also hard to get average Brazilians to accept these measures. I mean, she's telling Brazilians she's going to spend less on public services, less on them at a time when her government is accused of stealing potentially billions of dollars of taxpayers' money.
0: I can see the dilemma. So, Jonathan, I mean, taking a couple of steps back, it's a very disappointing story, isn't it? Because I mean, remember, five years ago, people were so excited about Brazil, in the sense that the time was now this huge country, 200 million people, so much resources, so much going for it. So is it just the old Brazilian disappointment story coming back again?
2: I'm afraid it is five years ago Brazil was growing at seven and a half percent it was a new economic miracle it was you know taking off on a rocket to the moon and now it evidently isn't. I think you have to look back a very long time to where this all started back about 20 years ago when Brazil started its path to prosperity and we had the radical economic reforms that were introduced in the mid-90s that Got rid of inflation that was running at 3,000%, enabled Brazilians to start planning for the future, think about how they were managing their lives and their businesses. And when that plan was introduced in 94, and it was subsequently modified to include what were then revolutionary ideas like inflation targeting, a floating exchange rate, gradual reductions in the public debt. But when those measures were brought in, They were introduced by politicians who said this is not the solution. This is the things we have to do in order to open the door to then creating the solution. And that solution is to put the public finances in order. Stop throwing money away on very expensive things like a bloated public sector and very expensive pensions and divert that money to important things like investment in raising productivity and so on. And as Sam says, the idea of doing stuff like that now, firing public sector workers, it's a hugely bloated public sector and people get massive pensions for retiring really quite early. That's just completely politically unacceptable. So the one thing Brazil really needs and has really needed that it's been unable to do for 20 years, it certainly can't do now. And for most of the past 10 or 15 years, the need to do that has been masked by very high commodity prices, and Brazil's a huge commodity producer, and by floods of money from QE. And now we don't have Chinese growth, we have falling commodity prices, we have no QE, the tide's gone out, nobody's got any swimming trunks on, and there's nothing that they can do about it.
0: Well, Samantha, rather than end on that extremely gloomy note, can I just ask you for a a final word? I mean, it strikes me that, you know, Jonathan makes a very convincing case for why the optimism was overblown. But is it also possible that uh, the pessimism is overblown and that uh, Brazil could be looking a little better in a year's time, or do you have a bad feeling about the coming 12 months to 24 months?
1: Yes, well, there is a tendency, I think, in Brazil to think things are either better than they really are or worse than they really are. There are also reasons to be optimistic about Brazil. We've come a long way. People say that actually what's happening with the corruption scandal, Petrobras, is progress. The fact that the authorities are actually investigating at this time also, you have you know, some of the, the top companies in the world are Brazilian. You have a huge, very solid democracy. And there are reasons to be positive. Things are generally in the right place. It's just that policy has been going perhaps in the wrong direction for the past few years, but it can be corrected with the right government.
0: Well, thanks for that optimistic note to end on. So, Samantha Pearson in Sao Paulo, thanks very much. And also to Jonathan Wheatley for joining me here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.